Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 10, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So guys, this wasn't like a one and done deal. Wow, he overcame, he passed the test. This was an everyday trial for Joseph. Attempting every day at his work environment. If this was your case, I would tell you to get a new job. I'd say, hey, you need to probably just leave that place of employment. Uh, The Bible says don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And if you keep putting yourself in that path of temptation, you're probably making provisions for yourself to fail at some point. So just get a new job if you can't can't fix this situation. Unfortunately, Joseph's a slave. He can't just walk away. He can't just quit. He's been purchased by Potiphar. So, I mean, my man here, he is such an example. He sticks it out day in, day out, fighting this temptation as a young man. And this is one of the reasons why I I love Joseph's example in the Scriptures, because this dude really meant it. He really meant it when he wanted to follow God. And you see that here. Verse 11, but one day, an evil day, an opportune day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. Now, personally, I think Joseph's life would have been a lot easier if he just like stuck with tank tops, you know, cut off sleeves. Because his jackets keep getting him into trouble, right? The coat of many colors, the brothers grabbed him, threw him in the pit. But he's like, no, i got to rock me a blazer, a sports blazer. And here he is again, busted with a coat, you know. And he gets out of there. It's the perfect storm. All the servants are gone. She's got her moment of opportunity. He has to come into the house. She grabs this coat and, and is taking it off. And she realized, he realizes, i got to get out of here. And he runs away. He flees. And I want to tell you, this is the most courageous fleeing you will ever read about. You know, most fleeing is cowardly, but this is courageous. Men, this is courageous fleeing. Right here, to flee sin. We talked about this a little bit last time, chapter 38. But I want to tell you guys, boys and immature Christians for you ladies as well, it's not just men, immature Christians run from their responsibilities, they run from their problems, and they run to sin. They run into temptation. Mature believers, real men, face their problems head on. Face their responsibilities head on, but they flee from sin. Courageously flee from compromise. And I love that example here. Probably the best scripture, I think, regarding temptation and overcoming is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's probably, it's probably the one I use the most in counseling with regards to sinful struggles. And it says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But... With temptation, He will also provide 
a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. That is a, a good promise. That is an education on temptation. First it says, hey, look, your sin is not, your, your sin is not uncommon. Like the text makes certain to start off that way. Don't think like you're an exception to the rule. Oh, you, but you don't get it. It's so hard for me. Like nobody else understands my sin struggle. Nobody else gets how hard this... Dude, it's a common thing. The struggle that you have, it might come in different forms for other people, but everybody else feels that same struggle. It's, you're not an exception to the rule, so throw that out. It's not an excuse anymore. And then he says, you won't be tempted with an impossible situation that you could never resist. He says, that's never going to happen to you. Ever. Satan, Satan comes and he comes into your life to tempt you. And he's got this temptation knob. And there are those moments where he starts cranking that temptation knob up. But guess what? God has put a governor on that knob. He can never crank that knob beyond your ability to handle it. There's no uh, level 11 on the temptation knob. He can only go so far. And God is the one monitoring that level of temptation in your life. Again, He's not the one tempting you. But He's the one making sure you're not tempted beyond your abilities. And then thirdly, this text tells us that God will always make sure you have a way out. There's always a way out. So when Satan is building this box of temptation around you and you're like, it's closing in on you, God always includes a trap door somewhere. Always. There's always a way out. And you need to be aware of that way out. And you need to run. Joseph spots the way out and he gets out of there. This is one of the amazing things, guys, about life in Christ. You never have to sin again. Think about that. I think, we, I think we forget that. Do we struggle? Yes. Do we still fall into temptation sometimes? Yes. But Christian, you never have to sin again. Isn't that crazy to think about? You will always have the equipping to flee. You will always have the equipping to resist and, and, and to be victorious over sin in your life. Joseph sees the way out. He runs from it spiritually he runs from it physically. Verse 13, And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Now, it, that term laugh at us, it wasn't like she had embarrassing pajamas on and he ran in to laugh at her pajamas. Right? Like this term, another translation says, He, brought, he came in for, to, sport, to sport me, I think it says. Like as a game, to basically take advantage of her as a game. He came in to mock us. But notice that she calls him that Hebrew. That Hebrew came in here. It wasn't that slave. It wasn't that foreigner. It was that Hebrew. She uses the name that is tied to Yahweh. And know this, guys. This is indicative of the work of the enemy. The devil doesn't just want to slander you. He wants to slander the God that you claim to follow. He doesn't just want to harm your reputation. He wants to make sure your witness for Christ is, is hindered. Maybe you're in your workplace and someone accuses you of stealing. And they're like, yeah, that Christian was, was stealing the other day. Why would they hire that kind of Christian? 
and they throw in Christian. That's kind of what this would be like. Uh, that, what's going on with Joseph here? That Hebrew. And she has to lie in order to slander Joseph. And hopefully they'll have to lie to slander you. Hopefully you don't actually give them true things to slander. Peter said, you know, suffer for doing the right thing. Don't suffer for being a bonehead and doing the wrong thing. That's Sean's paraphrase here. So uh, verse 14 continues. He came into me to lie with me, she says. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and I cried. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. So she's kind of like practicing her story. And she's like, yeah, that was pretty good. I'm going to save the garment here and get ready for Potiphar to come home and he's going to have it. And she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you brought among us. Can you sense the blame and the bitterness toward Potiphar? There's something going on. Their marriage is not healthy. Some have actually proposed that Potiphar was made a eunuch to serve Pharaoh because that term officer is actually the word eunuch, but it can also be a generic sense that he just served under Pharaoh. Some have proposed that. Maybe, he, maybe that's the case and he's a eunuch. And so anyways, there's, there's unhealthiness in this marriage. And she says, you brought, you hired this guy. Now he's, you know, he came in here to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. I'll again just highlight the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's significant right there. Now, it's likely, very likely, that Potiphar had some doubt about his wife's accusations. I mean, if you think about it, she knew, he knew his wife's reputation. If this was a woman who was willing to do this, it wasn't like this would be a surprise to him. And if their marriage was so unhealthy, it wouldn't be much of a surprise that she would pull a stunt. However, he knew Joseph well. And he, he trusted Joseph really well. So that's one reason why Potiphar might have had doubts. The other reason is because he had every right to actually put Joseph to death according to their law. And yet, what does he do? He throws him in a white-collar prison where, where prisoners of, of, of uh, Pharaoh's household would be sent. This is also likely, perhaps, the very prison that Potiphar himself Overseas as the head of the guard. And so this would be a place where he could keep an eye on Joseph. Again, this is just conjecture, but I think it's very likely. I think it's pretty good. Uh, good insight into the Scriptures. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Yeah. So Joseph gets thrown into this prison. It seems like he goes out of the frying pan into the fire. But also, the Lord is clearly setting this up. He now has face time with people who interact with more people than just one who interact with Pharaoh on a day-to-day basis. And those of you who know the story, you can see this lining up. 
And no matter what happens to Joseph, we see God is with him. God is causing Joseph to prosper. And it's really ironic how God works. It, really, it truly is. God said, hey, Joseph, and, and he let everybody know, you're going to be great. Your family's going to bow down to you. And I picture Satan there like, oh, really? I'll see about that. And so he, he stirs up hatred in the brothers. And so they sell him into slavery. And, God's like, and the devil's like, now let's see that plan. And God uses the plans of the enemy in his attempts to thwart God's promises. God actually uses those as the method in which he would bring about his promises. And, that, and what can the devil do? God is sovereign even over the work of the devil in your life. He did the same thing with Jesus. The devil's like, the Son of God has put on flesh. The Son of God is dwelling among us in flesh. I can harm him. In fact, this could be it. This could be my victory over the living God, killing the Son. And so the devil inspires Judas to betray him, inspires the hatred, the violence, the abuse of Christ and then the crucifixion of Christ. And God's like, I, I, Psalm 22. Didn't you read Psalm 22, Lucifer? I told you this was going to happen. And it was the greatest act, the greatest work God ever accomplished was done through what God allowed evil to do to him in the salvation of mankind. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that ironic? Can't you just see the devil frustrated? Like, He's almost like, I don't want to touch anything because whatever I touch, God turns into gold for his followers. You know? It's just amazing. There were definitely dark days for Joseph. Difficult days. Moments, I'm sure, in slavery and in prison where he's sitting there thinking, man, the enemy has just ravaged my life. How was how this going to work out for greatness, God? How is my family going to bow down to me uh, with these circumstances? It must have felt similar to the Saturday after the crucifixion for the disciples. Hiding out, hiding away. All hope was lost. Their Savior had just been murdered. The bad guys won is what they were feeling on Saturday. But in reality, from God's perspective, the greatest victory had been won already. The victory was won on Friday. They had every reason to rejoice on Saturday. They just didn't know it until Sunday. They had every reason to celebrate. Man, our sins, the sin debt has been paid in full from the cross. They just didn't know it. They just didn't realize it. Joseph didn't fully know why he was in prison, but he knew God was up to something. And so he faithfully worked. And in closing, guys, I want to ask, do things look bleak for you? Are you in a pretty dark season right now? Do you feel like the enemy's maybe ravaging your life and your career and your path and your, your hopes and dreams? Maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's the, the death of a relationship. Maybe it's, I don't know, uh, a mandate of some sort, you know, where someone's telling you to stick something in your body that you don't want to do. I don't know, just throwing that out there. And your, and your job is at stake. Whatever it is, whatever area or arena you feel like the enemy has his hands all over you, I want to ask you, how do you know 
that this isn't the path of God's blessing for your life. All the damage the enemy's allowed to do in your life, how do you know this isn't the path of God's blessing? How do you know you're not actually heading in the right direction? Yeah, it doesn't feel good, I agree. But how do you know you're not heading in the same direction as Joseph and fulfilling the plans? I want to remind you guys, God is at work just as much in our disappointments as He is in our attainments. God is at work in your disappointments just as much as He is in your moments of encouragement. He is. So don't mistake a difficult path with the wrong path. Don't mistake, just because your path is difficult doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. And don't assume a setback in life is a setback in God's plan for you. In fact, if we're looking at Joseph's, it's probably a shortcut in God's plans for you. It's probably the fast track for God's blessings in your life, the suffering that you are enduring today. Could very well be God's fast track for His blessings and His fulfillment of His promises for you. So I hope you find hope in this. I hope you find hope in Joseph's example. If you know the Lord, rejoice in all your circumstances. We see it in retrospect. We know Joseph could have rejoiced in all of the circumstances. The disciples could have rejoiced on Saturday in all their circumstances. We know that. So we should understand that and apply that. Rejoice in every circumstance that you face knowing that God is with you, okay? And if you don't know the Lord, I encourage you to start your walk with Him tonight. If you desire God's blessings, if you desire God to be in your corner, if you don't want your disappointments in life to be for nothing and to be wasted, but you want them to turn into something amazing, then invite Jesus Christ into your life and allow Him to be the Lord of your life. And you will see God equip you and anoint you and empower you in moments of temptation and seasons of discouragement. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray. And Lord, we want to thank You for, Lord, the suffering that Joseph endured. We want to thank You for the suffering that Christ endured. Because, Lord, this is what we need. These are the examples that we need truly to walk as disciples. Not, Lord, promises of blessing and riches and wealth. Lord, but the fact that You give us the ability to endure tribulation. Lord, that You give us the the ability to press on through trials, through discouragements, Lord, even through oppression and through, through victimization and through other ways in which, Lord, we are... Um, we are attacked by the enemy. Lord, none of that matters because we have You in our corner. None of that matters because You are orchestrating all of it. And especially the moments that You allow the enemy to touch us. We know that You will turn these things around for our good. You're working all these things to the good of those who love You. And we love You, Lord. And we pray that You would work all circumstances, Lord God, to our, to our eternal good, not just our earthly good, not just our careers, our salaries, our, our relationships, Lord God, but that You would work all these things to our eternal good, our eternal conditions. And that You would even use us, God, to, to be a witness and testimony to others as to what it, what it looks like to have Christ in our corner, to have the living God move on our behalf as you did for Joseph. And as we just remain in a state of prayer, if you're hearing this message and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and you're, you're realizing, I don't have Jesus as my Savior. I don't have 
the Lord in my corner. I want to tell you that that can be changed in a moment. It's not a coincidence that you are hearing these words. It's not a coincidence that you're thinking spiritual things maybe when you haven't before. This is the work of the Lord calling to you. This is not the work of a pastor giving you a sales pitch. This is the living God reaching out to you and inviting you into a personal relationship with Him. And so if you would like to receive that invitation from God, you simply accept it right where you're at. Go to the Lord. He's, he hears your thoughts. He hears your hearts. You tell Him right where you're at. Come into my life, Lord. Be my Savior. Lord, I, I, I acknowledge my sins in my life and I turn from them in order to live for you. Come into my life. I encourage you to do that. I pray that you'd have the courage to do that and really mean it and make that change this moment now. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. So Father, I do want to lift up those in whose hearts you are working this moment. I pray that you would empower them, that the Holy Spirit's presence would be around them, that they would feel it. Lord, that they would sense in their hearts and minds, Lord, the call, Lord, to something greater than what they've understood, to your eternal purpose, Lord God. And I pray that by the power of the Spirit, they would receive you and you would receive them into the kingdom, Lord God. And that they would take this first step of faith by acknowledging you as Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Down away.